Welcome to Talking Talent Solutions, a DZ Connects podcast. I'm your host, Joe McIntyre, and I'm here to introduce a critical discussion on perhaps the most important topic in modern workforce development, diversity, equity, and inclusion planning. Recently, Dana Zimmerman, Vice President of Talent, Organizational Development, and Diversity and Inclusion, Regina Blair, hosted an engaging panel discussion about how to stay the course and navigate through the noise when it comes to DE&I. Joining Regina was keynote speaker Rocky Howard, Chief Equity and Impact Officer at the Mom Project. We also get to hear from featured speakers like Kim Morton, Managing Director for Talent Acquisition and Outreach at Harvard University, Don McCartney, Vice President of the Contingent Workforce Strategies Council at Staffing Industry Analysts, and Trish Ferret, Vice President of Talent Attraction and Acquisition at the Trevor Project. Over the next hour, the group talks about the innovative approaches organizations are adopting to attract diverse early career talent, taking into account the changing dynamics of different generations in the workforce. The conversation also explores the latest DEI innovations, how organizations are addressing the development of diverse talent through specialized programs, targeted mentoring, external coaching, and other effective strategies. Our panel also shares insights to help create a workforce culture that embraces inclusivity always. We hope you find this thought-provoking conversation as fascinating as our live listeners did. You'll learn about how they attract talent, drive innovation, develop diverse leaders, and navigate conversations around privilege and power. We'll let Regina lead the way. Our intention today is really just to have a conversation uh, about the DE and I space and learn from one another. We're going to kick it off, though, with some remarks uh, by the highly esteemed Rocky Howard, who Linda briefly introduced. Um, as you see on our slide, she's the Chief Equity and Impact Officer at the Mom Project. If you don't know, look it up. Great organization. Um, and Rocky brings tremendous uh, subject matter expertise to the talent acquisition space. And so we thought she would be a great person to kind of set the stage for us and to share some remarks that we will then springboard into the panel discussion. So I am going to turn it over to you, Rocky. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here with a panel of incredible leaders, um, and I can't wait to dig into that conversation. So I just want to set a bit of a stage today, and I hope you will bear with me in a, for a moment, because I want to take you back to 2020. Look, I know we're all tired of revisiting 2020, but it was the beginning of what I believe was and still is a great recalibration in the world of work. And so, you know, the world was imploding. We were in the middle of a global pandemic and then George Floyd was murdered. And suddenly everyone was shouting from the rooftops about the injustice and demanding a better future. And personally, I just remember being angry. It felt like people wanted to make themselves feel better by jumping on some social bandwagon. And I have to tell you, as an underrepresented person in the world of work, this wasn't a bandwagon to me. This was my context. It was my reality. And I remember hosting a listening session where I disclosed the fear I had for my husband and for my son. I, I talked about the challenges that I faced as a woman, a black woman, a Christian woman, a mom, a woman over 40 in the workplace. And you know what? After that session, people that I really consider to be friends said to me that they never knew about the exclusion I felt both inside and outside of the corporate environment. Look, you all, we cannot bury our heads and not see what's happening in our cultures and in our companies. This is where one of the outcomes of the great recalibration came because people are demanding more of us. 
three months after George Floyd's passing, job listings for DEI positions jumped by 123%, according to research done by Indeed. Companies were really quick to throw money and resources into DEI after hearing the concerns of their customers and their employees. This moment, this was the moment that brought DEI to center stage. And I remember thinking, is this going to be a moment? Is it going to be a movement? Or could it be what we really needed, which is sustained momentum towards creating a more diverse and equitable and inclusive culture? Between 2019 and 2023, 2022, there was a 168.9% increase in the number of chief diversity officers that were hired. I know, I was one of them. And so now this thing was catching on. It was starting to become a movement. And then the noise started. From the stripping of women's rights and rights for LGBTQI communities to diversity training bans, decisions regarding affirmative action, defunding of DEI initiatives in colleges and universities, the economy, the layoffs, particularly in the tech sector, we are witnessing firsthand the erosion of the progress made towards sustained DEI momentum. And those organizations who never truly prioritized DE&I, they now have excuses to continue to defund their initiatives, which, by the way, a majority were underfunded to begin with. According to data published by Textio, DEI roles were down 19% last year compared to three years earlier. And personally, I believe that number is underestimated. The noise has stalled our momentum. We are experiencing diversity fatigue, a term that really I am loath to use when I think about all the historically underrepresented people who still can't find their place in the corporate landscape. When I think about all the companies who need to embed DE&I in the fabric of their cultures to achieve their business objectives. But when I really think about the definition of diversity fatigue, which means feelings of exhaustion, isolation, frustration, and sometimes skepticism around driving more diverse, inclusive, and equitable workplaces, I must admit, I can understand it. But I also believe that we can afford to be fatigued. We must not be distracted by the noise. We must stay the course. I love this quote by Adrielle Parker, a DEI thought leader. DEI can't die as long as there are people. Our diversity is what makes us, makes us human. And if we want to coexist peacefully in these shared spaces, DE and I is a requirement. Folks may want to call it something different, but the core goal, fostering understanding and fairness amongst people, continues to be the same. And so I want to thank our team here today, the DZX Connects team, for making this shared space for us to foster understanding. I want to give a shout out to our host and DZX Connects VP of Organizational Development and Diversity and Inclusion, Regina, for all the work you do and for leading the way every single day. And if you're attending today, what we want to do is help you navigate the noise and stay the course, because guess what? We are all accountable for creating diverse, equitable, and inclusive cultures. We are all responsible for acquiring and retaining talent, and that talent's going to lead us and lead our businesses into the future. So while the journey is a marathon, we're going to take a sprint through the six ideas that you see on the screen today that will help you navigate the noise and stay the course to a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive world. And we're going to start with idea one, prioritizing DEI in, the, in talent acquisition. So when we think about it, TA professionals play a unique role in the DEI life cycle. 
from the very first step, step one, in the beginning of the process by helping to form job descriptions that must minimize bias language, showcase the organization's commitment to inclusivity. Our TA team set the stage for how candidates view our opportunities. And step two, our teams manage the candidate experience. According to my friends at Matheson, who surveyed a group of more than 500 historically underrepresented candidates, 6%, only 6%, can you all imagine, only 6% of those candidates have clarity on the employer's diversity goals or efforts. 62% of underrepresented job seekers report that they have experienced bias or been treated differently in the hiring process. 76% of underrepresented job seekers have observed a lack of diversity on interview panels. And this one really breaks my heart. Half, 50% of underrepresented job seekers believe that being from an underrepresented community is a disadvantage. I just hope you stop and think about those statistics. And more importantly, I hope they help you to understand that for the rest of us who aren't NTA, you need to listen to the guidance from your TA partners who are on the front lines and the experts in what the diverse and best in breed candidates need in the recruiting process. You need to allow your TA professionals to make the process accessible for all. Allow them to be the organizational ambassadors that you need them to be. Because guess what? If TA doesn't get DE&I right, either because of a lack of knowledge or support from all of us, this is a critical miss for our organizations. We must stay on the course on prioritizing DEI in the talent acquisition process. So let's talk about our next idea. Why do TA team members have superpowers that we need to count on? Because they are uniquely positioned to help us drive our DEI initiatives. They have the power to help us increase representation in our organizations at all levels. And starting with the first step of helping us to source diverse talent. And when you acknowledge the power that our TA professionals have, maybe, just maybe, you will stop over-indexing on qualifying talent by looking at those outdated resumes that allow your bias to creep in. And you'll listen to the very experts who have spent time with candidates learning about their skills and their abilities. And then you'll take the next step in this idea, our second idea, and let our TA team members advocate for diverse candidates. We all need to trust that the TA team skills as market experts, and we need to allow them to do our step three in this idea, which is educate and influence us in a positive manner. And by the way, Finding diverse candidates and finding the best candidates are not mutually exclusive concepts, but I digress. I think that's a chat for another day. <laughs> we must stay the course and do our part to leverage the power of our TA professionals to help us build a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive culture. So look, now we understand more about how the impact of TA in the process and specifically how our TA teams can help support our initiatives. Seems simple, right? But we get distracted. So let's talk about the distractions when creating an inclusive culture. Look, you're not gonna like this, but our egos and privilege get involved. Again, that's a topic for another day. But what are some common things that distract us? Well, the first distraction can be our lack of awareness for what it all means. Even the initials we see in various job titles, DEI, JEDI, EDI can be confusing and distracting. So I'm gonna give you a quick tutorial. The D, 
The D involves diversity. It involves actively recognizing and valuing the array of unique perspectives and experiences brought by individuals from various dimensions. D is about representation. E, equity, is acknowledging and addressing the unique needs and circumstances of individuals and providing them with appropriate resources and opportunities to ensure fair outcomes. I need you to understand equity and equality are not the same. I, inclusion. Inclusion is about cultivating a work environment where all individuals, no matter their identities, are valued, heard, respected, and treated fairly. And then let's tack on that B for belonging, which involves making an environment where all employees feel genuinely connected and an integral part to the team's collective success. J is about justice and advocating for equitable business practices beyond the company's boundaries. It's about taking a stand in the wider business environment. And A is accessibility. It's all about designing facilities, tools, resources to be fully usable by all employees, including those with disabilities visible and not, ensuring that no one is left behind. So I hope now understanding this helps you drown out some of the noise. The next distraction, point number two, is external noise such as political and societal trends influence our perceptions about DEI. They confuse us and, and they make us wonder what we can and can't do. Can anyone relate to that in today's climate, to feeling an increased risk or caution for keeping the momentum with your DE and I initiatives? It's okay. We're all asking questions. But the final and the most prevalent distraction is the lack of resources, including expertise, people, budget, technology. You, you, this, this one may have pushed you right over the edge into diversity fatigue. You must stay the course. You must push past the distractions. Keeping the momentum is important. And so let's discuss the very next idea, which is the importance of staying the course. Step one to being a competitive business is we must have an engaged and innovative team that represents the multiple dimensions of diversity and those same dimensions that we see in the clients we serve. And we can't get that unless our very own human imperatives allow people to be treated equitably, inclusively, and with a strong sense of belonging. And our next point is about those workforce demographics that are changing from age to gender to women to racial diversity. According to the latest projections from the US Census Bureau, the population, at least in the United States, will be majority minority in 2043. That's not that far in the future. So tell me, if you don't build a reputation, just our final point, for having an inclusive culture, how will you attract a pipeline that is majority diverse? How will you form those high-performing teams that you will need to achieve business success? You must stay the course and not forget the impact to your business if you don't stay the course. And so we get the importance, let's jump to the next idea. How do we navigate through the noise and not get distracted? First, you've got to take time to genuinely reflect on what D, E, I, B, J means in your organization. What does it mean to you in your role? And what does it mean to you personally? And how can you contribute to building that diverse and equitable culture? Point number two is if you know your why, but you don't know the how, take the next step and focus on continuous learning for you, for your team, for your colleagues. Promote building your DEI competency. And point number three, and maybe the most important, please, please, please use your voice to advocate for the right level of support. Whatever that looks like in your world, I recognize it's not the same for all of us. 
stay the course. When it gets noisy, don't get distracted. Keep the momentum. And so finally, before we jump into our panel and hear from these incredible experts, let's discuss our final idea. I want to encourage you to take this step above all others. Take action. Become a change agent. And you can do this in a few ways. First, remain steadfast, even when you're faced with challenges. And by keeping our second point in mind, consistently advocating for both DEI, both within your organization and in your external networks. And finally, our last point, boldly and bravely adopt the posture of being a true ally. Hint clue, more to come on ally allyship as we have our panel chat. But please don't let the momentum die. Continue to help us move DE&I forward. Maintain the moment towards diverse, equitable, and inclusive cultures. You have the power. You can change your organization. In fact, I believe that you can change the world one story, one conversation, one action at a time. If you are willing to recognize your power and influence, recognize and overcome the distractions, become a change agent. And if you are willing to navigate through the course, navigate through the noise and stay on course. Thank you so, so very much. I'm gonna turn it back over to Regina. If Rocky, someone heard it, there was a mic drop. <laughs> All right, bam. Yes. Rocky, you Way got go. this group fired up. I've been keeping an eye on the chat and the people are just so excited about your energy, your enthusiasm and, and what you're bringing to the table. Everyone is picking up. So thank you for setting a wonderful stage for us. I did see a comment in the chat about, um, you know, speaking to some of the affirmative action decisions that have come down and rendered many organizations um, hesitant or uh, or frozen in terms of what do we do, um, and I think we can cover that as we go forward in some of the uh, in some of the discussion. So, I mean, let's dive in. Um, I'm I'm super excited, and and Rocky gave a good preview for a lot of our a lot of our conversation. So I'm going to position the first question, and Rocky did a great job of talking about the journey from 2020 to today, and whether or not DE&I is in your job description or you have account accountability for it. I think we all saw and experienced what Rocky spoke to, right, in 2020, um, given some of the social justice uh, issues that were going on. Rocky mentioned um, George Floyd, and there was Breonna Taylor, and uh, Sandra Bland, and, and unfortunately, the list goes on and on. And a lot of companies, as she pointed out, uh, either got serious for the first time or, you know, doubled down on their commitment to diversity. Fast forwarding, um, you know, fatigue that Rocky spoke to and um, budgets being cut and resources being uh, split and uh, allocated to other areas. Um, so, I won't spend a whole lot of time reiterating what she said, but just to frame it up, um, we wanted to talk around what's the, you know, what's your assessment of where are we on this DE and I journey in 2023? So which panelist wants to jump in first and get the party started? I'll jump in. Rocky has me so I on can. fire. <laughs> Hi, she has me so on fire that I can't, I cannot not unmute. So um, Rocky, thank you for that. Um, what, what I would add in addition to uh, the foundation that Rocky laid is uh, three points. One, um, in 2023, we really are all fishing in the same pond. What do I mean by that? Diverse talent is in demand. Going back to what Rocky said in 2020, 160 different initiatives coming out, right? So uh, diverse talent are in demand, they know that. Um, and so we have to recognize that we're all fishing in the same pool. Brings me to the second point. Um, what job seekers are looking for is authenticity, right? Mm. So as we're all fishing in the same pond, what will differentiate you um, um, in, that, in that journey is really being authentic. To the point, uh, again, that Rocky said, so many initiatives were put in place 
uh, without the pressure, what does an organization do? And so, you know, what they say is um, integrity is all about what 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 you do when people aren't when people aren't watching. So I would remember that. And then the third, going back to uh, all of the acronyms, because so much emphasis has been put on on DE and I, what I have found and what I have experienced is that belonging <laughs> is lacking. Right? We've put so much focus on bringing diversity in and making sure that we're doing the right things. Um, that belonging now needs some attention and focus. So lest I take the whole time, I'll go back and read. <laughs> I, that was great, Kim. I think, you know, there's there's a sense of organizational readiness, right? We started pulling the trigger on things when organizations weren't ready to catch it. They weren't ready to receive it. And I think that is a lot of what we're seeing right now. So great points. Dawn, did you want to, were you jumping in there? Yeah, I did. I wanted to say, so I'm looking at this right from the perspective a lot of times of those of us that are in more of this contingent space and, and all the things that we'd like to accomplish. I, I want to remind folks, we can't let fear keep us from doing what's right. And I think that's where I really struggle with this. So often we talk to organizations and program managers about we want to be able to track that diversity metric. We want to make sure we're doing the right thing, but we're so afraid of getting in trouble. We're so afraid of, and so my my guess one of my strongest stance here is we're doing this for the right reason. If that's going to be one of the risks that we have to consider, I would feel so awesome as an organization to be able to say, hey, this is what we did. We collected this data. This is where we had it. I'm not saying be foolish with it, right? You need to ensure that, that it's not open to everyone to see, but it's the right thing to do. I'm very nervous right now when I say the overall state of DEI in 2023. Rocky, you touched on it, right? We had this unfortunate incident that brought this to the limelight. We don't want there to have to be more of those, but we're losing our limelight, folks. We're starting to see it happen. We're starting to see some of the changes occur. We're starting to see companies, right, take away that title of a diversity officer. We got to ensure. And I love the fact I'm looking at the number of folks that are participating. We are 100 plus strong. We, we got to make sure that our voice continues to be heard, that this is still important and that we cannot, we cannot let costs and all these other noises come in the way of what is so critical for us, both personally and also our organizations to be successful. Yeah, we don't have the luxury of, of being tired, right? Yes. Uh, you know, to Rocky's point, I feel like we should all get t-shirts. We must stay the course. Trish, what would you add? I see your hand raised there. Sure. Um, so apologies for, first of all, not having the background. What I'm experiencing is technological difficulties that are so terribly embarrassing. But um, what I wanted to share was that just to bounce right off of that, it being the right thing to do. Um, we don't need to wait for the federal government to tell us what we need to be doing when it comes to hiring. We know that a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging are the right ways to operate for all the right reasons, whether it's business strategy, whether it's doing right and creating opportunities for underserved populations, whatever that reason is. In, in our really unique position, particularly as talent acquisition professionals, we have the ears, we are on the ground, we are boots on the ground talking to hiring managers every single day. And we are there to help influence those decisions. We do need the support from our leadership to make sure that um, our voices are being heard and that we're not just running into the same brick wall all the time. But this is such a unique and special opportunity for us to, um, in everyday conversations with hiring managers, when we're presenting candidates, when we're advocating for candidates, um, when we're looking at job descriptions, when they first come in saying, ah, you know, why do you need a master's for this person to manage your calendar? And those of you all in the audience who know me, you know, that's my favorite conversation to have. But, you know, talking about these opportunities that we're able to create, we don't need the federal government to guide those conversations. Yes, there are, they're trying to reshape and reform and so many different initiatives out there. But the bottom line is we're here to do the right thing. And we have such a unique uh, and honored place to make this change, no matter wh which way the law goes. We are here to be able to do that. And it's, it's, 
um, in a place where we can feel very <laughs> like our knees are being cut out from under us, whether it be funding, we still have the power of the conversation and conversations can be free. So take every opportunity that's right in front of us just to kind of re-energize yourself around this opportunity. One story at a time to reinforce what Rocky said, right, Trish, you can, you can change uh, an organizational course one story at a time. That's really great. All right. So the next question that I wanted us to talk about is really kind of what are you doing in your lives, in your organizations to address development, right? If you think about diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging as a competency, right? It's a combination of skills and behaviors and knowledge and attitudes, right? And that's, uh, you know, that's a muscle that can be developed over time. So what are you all doing to address um, the competency or capability uh, in the DEI space at your respective uh, organizations? All right, I'll go. I'm looking at my other panelists here and waiting for them to jump in. You know, part of it, this Regina today, participating in something like this. I think that's one of the things that we have to realize. So often I get asked, you know, why, why do you care so much? You're a white, you know, middle-class woman. Why, why does this matter to you? It matters to me because I have people in my life that I love unbelievably that this matters to them. So with that being the case, I want to ensure that, you know, I am constantly learning about what is acceptable, what's not acceptable. What can I do? What can one voice make a change at? Where do I have the opportunity to use that voice? It's also extremely important. What I'd also say is we all have to admit we're vulnerable and we don't know it all. And I think sometimes we have this expectation on ourselves. I'm going to know the exact thing I should say. I'm going to know the exact thing I shouldn't say. I'm going to know the right way to address someone. I'm going to know. And you know what? It's almost impossible but to know and to accept that you're vulnerable, to know that you're doing this for the right reasons, to continue to seek out like-minded individuals, individuals that maybe you never had an opportunity to speak to before, but you've seen them on a webinar, you've seen them speak at a panel, and, and reaching out to them, educating yourself, luxury, I know we don't have a lot of time, but reading, you know, listening into other webinars, understanding what organizations are doing. Rocky, you shared so many data points. Think about that. Those weren't just data points. There is an entire paper, I'm sure, that is around that entire topic about it. Taking the time to educate yourself is really important. And what I'd say probably the most important thing is don't depend on your organization to be the one to do it. You got to do it yourself. Yeah, John, and, and I think to answer the question from my perspective, what you just said is really important about not counting on your, your organization to do it. For me personally, you know, I've spent the last three years, actually longer than that, in small to mid-sized businesses who genuinely and authentically cared about diversity but we're under-resourced in terms of resources, right? And so what happens is it all falls to one person because a lot of times when you all see chief diversity officer, that we, we have a belief that a chief has a whole team underneath them and a big budget and all the resources that they need. Let me tell y'all that is not the case. That is not true. And so I have personally developed this passion for supporting small and mid-sized businesses along the journey because I believe small and mid-sized businesses have the, I, I think the stat is 70%, at least in the U.S., of businesses are classified as small to midsize. That's what's growing. You also don't have the barriers of infrastructure. You have a more nimble environment to be able to implement change and to create cultures that are more accepting and learning. 
What you lack is a way to be able to understand how to simply do that within your culture. So one of the things that I personally am working on is a book that will be specifically for small to mid-sized businesses to help you all understand, okay, I've got no money. I've got no, you know, I've got no dollars. I've got no people. Everybody is volunteer. Can I still make this work? And if I do, what should I work in? So I'm creating a framework that will help small to mid-sized businesses understand that because I think that's what we can do to help do some development about driving that capability is to provide resources to those who need it. Yeah, I, I think that's a great comment, Rocky. And even in the chat, there was someone who mentioned, you know, um, you know, joining your employee resource groups a lot, which is great. And we have them at DZ Connect. Um, but a lot of companies don't even, they haven't even gotten to that tipping point where they, they, they don't know how to stand them up, right? So I love some of the ideas around doing some independent work, not relying on the organization um, and doing, um, you know, committing to yourself that you're going to be the best you that you can be every single day and make mistakes and learn from them. Um, who was going to weigh in? I'm sorry, was that you, Trish? Or Yeah. I was going to say one thing I've, I've learned just through my own experience is that um, in building, building capability and competence is to acknowledge you don't know. You know, it, it, in my place in the world, I cannot speak, you know, typically when they say go do diversity, you know, go, go off to an HBCU, go, go find us some diverse candidates. But being able to articulate the why someone should join your organization why a person of color, why a person of uh, that's part of the LGBTQ community, um, why you can't speak to that why. So go find someone who can and either bring them with you or learn from them. What is their journey? What is their map? Um, what works for them? What doesn't work for them? But don't ever deign to speak for a community about their why. Um, because and, and knowledge you don't know. I think that's probably the most authentic and most humble thing you can do. Um, and I've made all those mistakes. I'm just <laughs> trotting off to an HBCU and say, yes, you should come work for us. And, and they're like, well, tell me, tell me why, what's in it for me? Why, why should I come there? And I've realized I was ill-equipped. I couldn't tell the story. I couldn't articulate it in a way that would matter to the person who was speaking to me. Um, I learned very quickly. <laughs> Um, don't even try um, because we've been clocked. We know um, we cannot get by with checking a box anymore. Um, and I know we're going to get into allyship soon, but that is absolutely the wrong approach. Um, folks know what we're up to as um, TA professionals. Um, and if we're not in there to um, be able to articulate why they should join your organization, why any individual should join your organization, find someone who can articulate that better and, and bring them to the table and develop your own capability from people who can articulate that authentically. That's my two cents. Brilliant. And even within communities, um, they're not a monolith, right? So speaking to a group of women about why they should come work for an organization, my experience as a Black woman is very different than Trisha's experience or Dawn's experience or even Rocky's experience, right? Mm -hmm. So we are not a monolith. And so we have to take the time to really listen um, and, and hear and recognize the differences within a group that seem very similar to us from the outside in. Mm -hmm. And what, yeah. I'd add, yep, what I'd add is, so, you know, when you think about development, many of you may have heard of the 70-20-10 rule, meaning only 10% of development comes from training, right? So we think to develop a, a, this competency and this capability is throw training at it when it's only 10%. Um, so the 70% is really challenging experiences, right? And the 20% is relationships. So what am I doing? And then I'll uh, broaden it to Harvard, right? So as Linda said, I'm bold and unapologetic, right? So when, when you see the gap, step into it, right? Call it, name it, don't be afraid to do that. You're doing it in service of all of the employees that you're trying to attract. You're doing it for the employees uh, in service of the employees that you have today, right? So it's 
the more you just have the conversation, the less it is the boogeyman, right? It's it, it becomes something that we're all comfortable talking about and it becomes the business imperative that it is. Um, from Harvard, you got to dispel the myths, right? You, you got to acknowledge um, from which you came, right? And acknowledge that you're trying to do better because again, it, it, it reinforces that authenticity and just uh, makes it real. Um, uh, Sarah already put it in the chat um, around the relationships, really leveraging your ERGs, giving them platforms um, to really do this in an engaging kind of way. I call it, sometimes it's putting the medicine in the applesauce um, because it's a little bit more digestible for folks. So we're doing that. And then from the, the training capacity, um, we do have uh, EDIB, we put the E first, <laughs> EDIB um, Academy, where it's the instructional in-person in classroom, but um, also hiring managers, they're trained, um, obviously on unconscious bias and, and how to interview. But we all, in our interviews, we always ask behavioral-based interview questions around leading diverse teams, some element of diversity. And so the hiring managers need to know what a good answer looks like. And so they're getting um, development even in trying to recognize uh, what kind of response you're really looking for. So in addition to all uh, what my other panelists have said, those are the other things that I would add. Kim, if I could add something, right? You, you brought up a great point. I think the other thing that we all need to do is we need to hold our organizations accountable. So I don't know if folks remember, but when the George Floyd incident occurred, does anyone remember how many CEOs came out and said, diversity, we're going to have a diverse workforce, and they put their name on the line, and they said what that was going to look like and what their organization, I would love love to go back and take a look at those organizations and see what they've accomplished and if they've held true to that. I also did wonder how many of them had that put out there without them even knowing what they were doing, right? But um, I, I do think we as individuals, as employees of those organizations, we need to hold them accountable because we did see it was such a, right? We talked about it, it was in the limelight. Now that it's not in the limelight, we can kind of take a couple steps back from that. We can't let those steps continue to go backwards. Awesome. Woo, we could go on, but let's keep it moving. Uh, there is a great reference in the chat if you, uh, if you wanna take a look um, for an organization uh, that Cheryl put up um, through the Justice Journey Alliance leadership out of Chicago. So take a look, and I think your point is well taken that, um, you know, this is this is deep, personal, heartfelt work, right? And so all the webinars in the world aren't necessarily going to shift your, your uh, the way you think and the way that you feel, um, but the connections one-on-one, -on -one, one story at a time, is what gets us there. So thanks for including that resource. So perfect segue, we want to talk a little bit. So the question is this, the question is, what have we learned about being an ally over the past three years? But before we open up the panel to discussion, I wanted to share the Jennifer Brown allyship model. Um, if you haven't seen this before, um, look, Jennifer Brown is a, is a great uh, DE&I professional. And in her book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, she talks about the phases of how to be an ally or the, or the journey of being an ally. And it starts on the left with phase one with a lot of well-intentioned but uninformed uh, people who uh, may perhaps are apathetic or uh, don't see diversity as their issue, it's uh, other people's issue um, and just, um, you know, are not, don't feel as if they are personally impacted. Right. And then, you know, you kind of move to phase two where there's a sense of an awareness that, hey, I might have a role in this conversation, even though I might not be or I don't see how I am yet directly impacted. And I'm going to I'm going to start doing some research and, and learning. Right. We've been talking about. And then you move to phase three where you're starting to find your voice and you're starting to speak up. Um, you are, uh, you know, learning from your mistakes and building relationships outside of the, the ones that you are frankly most comfortable with. And then advocacy, right? You're proactively and consistently engaged and uh, addressing issues when people aren't in the room, but are being spoken about in presumptive or inappropriate ways. 
Um, and so it's a journey and you can kind of you know, pick a topic. You could be uh, phase three and pick a different topic on the diversity spectrum and you could be uh, kind of level one. It's an ongoing, not necessarily sequential, uh, sequential journey. So I thought this was a good framework for us to talk about what have we learned about being an ally? And I'll just say one of my DEI um, colleagues says, the minute you, you think you have allyship nailed, your next step is gonna be a misstep, right? And that, that is okay, that is part of the journey. So I'll leave this up on the slide for everyone to continue digesting, but in terms of what have we learned about allyship, um, since 2020. Um, who wants to weigh in? Oh, I'll go there. <laughs> yeah, let's go, Trish. All right. So I will say that um, one thing we've learned is that allyship is much more than a little pin on your shirt. You know, we see all sorts of um, airlines and, and all sorts of organizations like that slap a pin on your chest. You feel good about it. I'm an ally. Yes, I am. Um, the the reality is you're somewhere on this continuum, right? You, you've at least acknowledged that your support, your personal support, but when we're in this seat, when we're in the TA seat, when we're in a seat of influence and power, um, we can't just show up um, thinking very purely in the TA form. And I'll segue off of what I was talking about earlier. I can't show up at Howard University and say, hi, I'm an ally, apply to my jobs. I can't do that. First of all, have you ever tried to get a spot at a job fair at Howard? Uh, good luck if you haven't built a relationship, if you haven't shown up for the community. And that's what I've learned um, in my experience and I'm still cultivating. I'm still on the continuum, but you right. can't show up for a um, marginalized group, underserved group, whatever, and just say, give me you. You have to contribute to the community. You have to be there. And in this space, we have all sorts of cool opportunities. We can do mock interviews for their career services. We can do resume reviews. We can do paid internships. We can do all sorts of things to build relationships and build trust in your organization and in you as an ambassador of that organization by showing up for those communities. Now, it's hard to do when you're under-resourced and you can't be everywhere at once, um, but you have to try. You can't just show up and expect, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing DEIB. I, I can't do a job fair. Here's all the job fairs I went to. Really? How's that working out for you? How, where, where's the return on your investment there? And what's the return on, on the community's investment in you and spending their time with you? You really have to dig much deeper than what was typically passable as DEIB efforts. You really have to roll up your sleeves and get in there and, and be that ally and contribute to that community, whatever that community is, so. And Chris, yeah. you, you know, you could argue that, you know, the community will tell you when you're an ally, right? It's yeah. not a title that you put on yourself, I'm an ally. They'll mm -hmm. let you know when you're an ally. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, can I pick it up there? Because <laughs> that's where I want to pick it up. Let me say this to you all. To me, this is the difference between intentions and right. And so if you are going, I'm an ally, you are so unaware at this stage, because if you are calling yourself an ally, to me, that's about how you feel. It's about making you feel good. If you are a true ally, it is about advocating on the other end of the continuum for the particular dimension of diversity that you're advocating for. And so I think that's the first step is that a lot of us like to say, oh, I'm an ally because it makes us feel good. And we've missed the whole point that allyship is about coming alongside of someone or a group of people and standing with them and for them. And to the point that Kim made earlier, whether someone is looking or not, and with no intended benefit in return. Um, I also think that where I get really, really stuck is that as leaders, you don't get to choose 
the different places where you are an ally, right? And so I have a group of people that work for me that have multiple dimensions of diversity. And I can't just go, oh, well, I'm an, av- I'm an ally for the LGBTQ community, okay? Yeah, well, but the problem is, is you have newer diverse people that work for you. You've got, you know, people of color that work for you. You've got women that work for you. You've got people over 40 that work for you. And so where is your commitment to doing the work and becoming more aware about those multiple dimensions. You may not ever get to the far side of Jennifer's um, continuum, right? But exactly, Trish, the intersectionality of it all, right? And we don't show up the same. Um, And so that point, let me go there and make a really good example. Um, You all will see, I identify as she, her, Black, Christian, Gen X, wife, mom. If you call yourself an ally of Black women, are you then not allying for the other dimensions of my diversity? Do you not care that I'm over 40? Does my Christianity and those beliefs not matter to you? Does the fact that I'm a mom, you don't have time to deal with that, right? So I think we need to be very careful and we've overutilized this word ally because it makes us feel good. I'll say one other thing and then I will shut up because I could talk about this for the next hour. But most allies, most people that call themselves allies are genuinely empathetic to the issue and what people are dealing with, right? I truly believe that. But the challenge is when the tough time comes, when the challenge comes, when the distractions come, when it's not politically correct anymore, then you're sitting back like this. Because you don't want to use your own political capital. You don't want to use your own privilege. You don't want to use your own power and erode any of that in, to, to help this group. That's not being an ally. So let's do the work. We need more allies. I've seen great allies. And guess what? For every great ally I met, if you called them out as being an ally, they'd probably put their face down and go, no, I'm not. I'm I'm just doing my best. I'm, I'm over here right. doing my work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'd say, you know, being an ally also is being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Because <clears throat> you're going to have to push back. And you're gonna to have to say things and you're gonna to have to have conversations which aren't always really well received. <clears throat> and being an ally means you're comfortable with pushing back. I mean, I can't tell you how many times over this past year based upon the changes that we've seen, right? With our government and the things that are happening, even with family members that I have to have this conversation about, this isn't the right way we should be going. This isn't what we need to be doing as a country. This isn't going to get us to where we need to be. And some of those conversations, like I said, are uncomfortable because they're people I love, right? They're, they're folks that, that mean a lot to me. And so to be able to have that ability to push back, but knowing, and, and you're right, Rocky, it's we know what it is to be an ally and it's more than just, I love Trish, the pin. I, I was visualizing walking in the airport the other day and yes, or the tie that's, a, you know, all the things that just, and if you were to talk to them about it, they probably would not be able to have a conversation with you about what wearing that actually means. So yeah, I think it's the idea of we've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable and that's when we'll start to see real progress. Yeah. And, and what I'd add is, you know, Rocky, your, your, your slide where it says, recognize your power and influence. We all have a voice. <laughs> we all have a sphere of influence. Um, it's, it's one relationship at a time, one story at a time, right? Um, and, you know, not, I'm, I'm not unique in this, but, you know, ever since 2020 and being a part of a marginalized community, it got exhausting, right? You're, you're carrying 
a, a huge burden on your shoulders. You're the one that everybody turns to. And so what I've learned is allies are necessary, right? Um, because it should not be the marginalized community that's always speaking, um, right? So it goes back to Trisha's point, actions speak louder than words. Um, and so I would just reinforce and echo everything that everybody else has said. And the hardest conversations that require the most courage are the ones that Dawn spoke to with people that you have a natural, a perceived natural affinity to. Those are the toughest conversations. That's right. Um, so, can I just right. add one thing to what Kim said? Is she said something so critical? Allies are necessary, and and because sometimes someone can hear something from an ally that they can't actually hear from me as a member of that marginalized group. Allies, we need you. I think one big part of this is recognizing good intent, supporting good intent, and helping folks understand the difference between good and bad intent. Um, because too often um, we're kind of choking out our abilities to build allyship by canceling folks for one bad misstep. We see a lot of that in the LGBTQ community um, at where I am right now. And uh, there's even divisiveness within the community. Um, and it's, 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 it's frustrating because it's like, don't forget your allies. We need to keep building allies. And we have a unique part in that in, in, our, uh, in our talent community about um, how we evaluate candidates and how we watch their language, particularly as language continues to change, um, particularly in the LGBTQ community. So be careful of that as well. We're seeing a lot of that right now, so. Thanks, Trish, that was great. So let's get to our last question. Uh, I know, uh, let, let's do a process check here. We are um, booked until quarter past the hour. So let's get to our last question and see if we can't find a few minutes for some Q&A, either via chat or people taking themselves off of mute. So brass tacks panelists, right? What are the key takeaways that we can give our audience today? The key things that you recommend companies or individuals, um, we've talked about both, uh, look at as they try and stay the course uh, during um, you know, turbulent and ever-evolving times. Um, who wants to jump in first? I'll call on Kim. Okay. I was getting ready to unmute, right? Um, so this may, this may be a little counterintuitive and provocative, right? But uh, the first thing I would say is focus on the diverse employees that you have in your workforce today, right? They often get overlooked because we're so busy looking externally to bring more in that we do it at the expense of those that we have. Um, and remember, the employees that we have are our greatest ambassadors. They're the ones that's going to recruit others or they're the ones that's going to deter others from coming. Um, so do not overlook the population, the diverse workforce that you have today. That's the first thing that I would say. Um, and the other is uh, work on building that uh, culture of belonging, because as your talent acquisition professionals are out there, um, you know, selling that employee value proposition and bringing folks in, you want the soil. I always use the seed and soil strategy. The seed is the diverse workforce. The soil is the culture um, that allows them to thrive. And so uh, focus on building a culture, culture of inclusion and belonging so that the seeds can thrive. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll pick up for and, and take what Kim said and take it just a little bit more detail. Absolutely right. We look, you all, I'm a recruiter, you know, lifelong, right? <laughs> Ride and die for it. But the truth is, I believe in our DE and I initiatives, we have over-indexed on recruiting. We cannot recruit our way out of the problem. That is actually a quote from a global TA leader from a company you all would all know. So I'd like, I would encourage you to look at what does inclusion look like across your talent management life cycle? Look at your onboarding, your performance management, your L&D initiatives, succession planning, talent retention, even your offboarding and your infrastructure and your policies and procedures, and really think about what, like Kim said, what you're doing once they hit the door. Because guess what? If you're not bringing it through the life cycle, people are not going to stay. And then the other thing I would say quickly is a lot of people came into this journey and just went, 
oh my gosh, I have to do something. And what are all the other companies doing? We, you know, this company has some ERGs, so I'm going to do this. And this company does this, so I'm going to do that. Take a step back and review what a successful culture looks like within the context of your organization. Look at your values, understand what the why is, you know, prepare for the challenges and risk mitigate. You might need to, you know, like streamline your initiatives and start and do smaller things really well and build instead of starting like this and it all falling through and being a failure. Agreed. And so I'm going to bring it in from the perspective, right? Obviously, in my role, I work a lot with contingent workforce programs and their program managers. And so part of this is, right, the whole idea of diversity. Diversity isn't just getting a diverse supplier, okay? That's, that's a step, but it's not a diverse, that's not that's not going to establish everything for you or accomplish everything that you want, right? You have to dig a little bit deeper. You have to look at, so it's a woman-owned organization, but all they do is send me male candidates. I, I'm kind of defeating the purpose there. So you want to ensure that what they do and what they talk, you know, they, they walk the walk, they talk the talk. What you also have to look at is that candidate diversity that they're bringing in. I'd also say that we have to start to take a look at the makeup of those organizations, right? I was amazed. I would talk to someone about their diverse organization. I was very excited. We saw a lot of organizations start to promote themselves as a diverse company. And when you start to look and peel back their DNA of their company, guess what? It's almost like wearing a pin, Trish, right? I can say I am, but when you start to look at the DNA of what makes up that company, they're not a diverse organization. So you want to ensure that you're partnering with the right folks. What you also need to do is we've got to remember there's going to be so many things that we control, so many things we can't control. We can't give up because we don't feel like we can control it. We've got to just keep pushing this forward. And like I said earlier, hold our organizations accountable. Find ways to do things. Find way. I'm looking at this. There's over 100 people on this. People are networking with one another. Don't let us end this conversation today and then go back to your emails and to everything else and forget about it. Let's make sure that we keep this. For you to take the time out of your schedule to be a part of this conversation, that means this is important to you. Let's make sure that it remains important to you because that one voice can make a difference, right? Think about it. One today became 100 plus. That's pretty damn powerful. So let's make sure we don't forget that. It really is. Um, there's a, another great resource um, uh, for a first read or a reread by Emerson and Yancey, um, Transcending Racial Barriers. So again, like here's an opportunity for you to, um, you know, to, to keep educating yourself and sharing what you're learning with this network and beyond this network. I would say um, real quickly that um, everyone on this call everyone in your organizations is a recruiter. Every just because, um, and every one of us are DEIB folks. Um, you don't need the fancy title to carry, uh, to carry the water. And we all need to carry the water. Uh, take good care of your recruiters. They've been, they've been doing everything they've been asked. I hope they've all, they've been doing the most of, of the lifting, the most of the metrics, the most of checking the boxes. Um, take good care of them because they're the ones really trying to move the needle, but recruiters don't make hiring decisions. They present the diverse slate. It's up to the hiring managers to make the decision of who moves forward beyond that. They can advocate all they want, but they've got to have support on the other, other side. So make that responsibility um, everyone's responsibility, not just the recruiters. Certainly the recruiters will have metrics. There's always metrics with recruiting. That's fine. But if not, if, if the responsibility doesn't sit with everyone, then it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of it just sitting that culture is a, is a people thing, um, that, um, talent development is a HR thing. You know, it's, it all seems to sit within this nice little bucket of HR, but in reality, all of this is an organization-wide philosophy and it's got to start at the top. So uh, wherever you're sitting in there, take that home with you, take good care of your recruiters. And I'll leave with three things. One is staying the course requires stamina. It requires perseverance. 
Um, and so take care of yourself. The work is hard, uh, it's long, it's arduous. Um, and so so that you can maintain the momentum is just, you know, self-care is important too. So I'd end with that. And I'd Absolutely. also say, I'm gonna to touch on a topic that might be a little uncomfortable for folks, but for those of us here in the United States, we have an election coming up next year. We have a voice. We need to ensure that we look at those candidates that support what it is that we feel is really important for us to remain the people that we are, that, that we're proud to be American citizens. So let's ensure that we think about that as well. And, and Trish, Trish, Trish made a great point in the chat around celebrating your victories. It is incremental work. It is hard work. Um, it, requi it requires a tremendous amount of influence and, and dialogue. But when you have a win, celebrate it and make sure you hold on to it and build on it. So I appreciate that ad in the in the chat, Trish. <clears throat> yeah, look, really quickly, it, this is tough work. Build your community, build your people around you. This is not some competitive advantage that you're going to solve in a vacuum. Let's 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 work together. Let's collect, let's be together. Let's support each other. Let's cry together. Let's ideate together. Let's innovate together. Let's change the world together. But you need community to stay in this. Absolutely. Girl, I was crying the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and, Absolutely. And you, know, you can call Kim or Dawn right. or Trish or Rocky right. or Lindsay because we're in community oh. and that's what you need. Exactly. Exactly. I think Trish needs to start singing Lean on Me about right now. <laughs> so, Trish? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, listen, this has been. <laughs> this has been an amazing exchange and it's so it's so similar to some of the conversations that we've been you know that we've been having with our clients at DZX uh, DZ Connects and you know this whole idea um, as our friend Leslie Tell from DZ Connects said this was just an idea that two people were batting around like wouldn't it be cool to get people together to talk about this and it grew into this conversation and, uh, you know, we are building and have built like DEI consulting services for our clients because, you know, we talk about organizational capability today. We talked about organizational readiness and how to figure out, you know, how to stand up your ERGs and, you know, what is your why? What's your diversity strategy? And those are conversations that, you know, we're just having almost every day with our clients as well as building the capability from a manager standpoint, right? So we are super excited about these, having these conversations and providing these services to, um, to our people. And if you want to have a conversation with us, uh, we are all in. I'm all in. So it's Jason, so it's Leslie, so it's every DZ Connects person you see on the line um, and find us on dzconnects.com. But we're super excited about this. Maybe, I hate to say it, DZ Connects, this is the first of many. Bring it up. The more the merrier, the more voices, the better. <laughs> um, and then there was a question at the beginning. Thank you, Kevin, for pulling us back to that around, you know, navigating um, the SCOTUS affirmative action ruling on town acquisition and DEI. And while that decision, um, you know, was intended for and impacts the higher education community, there are some serious concerns about how that will tri trickle down to private and, and public sector. And, um, you know, I can tell you the conversations that we're having at DZ Connects are, you know, we're doing DEI and B work for all the right reasons like that we've talked about. And do we need to be thoughtful? And do we need to call, wait for it? Do we need to get the lawyers on the phone every now and then? Absolutely. But we're doing this for the right reasons and we are gonna stand behind diversity as a core value for our organization. and you know, navigate this thoughtfully, but with without any diminished intention on our commitment, commitment to diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, I'm not sure if anyone else from the panel wants to address that, but um, it is it is a tricky time um, and designed to slow down progress. But, um, you know, we have to stay the course and we will not, we will not stand for it. Thank you for joining Talking Town Solutions, a DZ Connects podcast. To hear future episodes of this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen in. Also, please make sure to rate, subscribe, and review if you can. For Talking Town Solutions, I'm Joe McIntyre. Thanks for listening.